You're listening to New York's only home for reefer madness. Every week, we'll explore the unique perspective of cannabis in the global hub of commerce and culture. Hear the insights, stories, challenges, and successes of those blazing a path from Brooklyn to Buffalo and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Kalen Kassetter, coming to you from the Green Valley of Opportunity, Binghamton, New York. This is the Empire State of Cannabis. Welcome today. We have a very special show for you. We have Eric Crone, uh, one of my personal mentors and a mentor for CSG. He's a director of incubation programming at Binghamton University. Thanks so much for coming, Eric. Thank you so much, Ken. I'm actually uh, really, really excited to be here and, and quite honored, especially you know a, a day after the the giant dropping of your biggest news yet. Uh, so. Um, very special. Thank you. Yeah, no. And, and so yesterday uh, we launched Empire Standard, uh, yesterday being Wednesday or Thursday the 18th. Um, and so this episode will air on Monday. Um, so yeah, so, so thanks for coming on. Why don't you explain what that means, Director of Incubation Programming at Binghamton University. And for those that don't know, there's actually a physical Southern Tier or the Kaufman Southern Tier Incubator in Binghamton. Yeah, yeah. Great question. Thanks. Um, in, in short, uh, my job is to provide mentorship uh, and educational programming um, to startups. And that can be startups that are coming from the university itself, uh, whether that's uh, Binghamton University or SUNY Broome or, or really a- any university. We've uh, gotten some out of Ithaca. Um, as well as, you know, trying to provide these services to folks uh, in our community or folks that we're finding from other states that we actually are able to bring into New York to uh, progress their businesses. And what we do, um, much like most incubators, is put together mentors that come from different backgrounds, uh, a a building that um, Hmm. is technologically advanced in some sort of way, whether it's brand new meeting spaces or or, uh, the the video aspects. And... um, and uh, the, the networking abilities, whether it's for pitches or to meet other entrepreneurs. And we try to find the best mix of all these things and give that uh, sort of structure, if you will, um, to anyone that's willing to, uh, to join our membership. Um, and so it's, it's really open to anyone. Our clean energy uh, division uh, actually has companies from, I believe, three different countries. Hmm. Um, and my half, the uh, non-clean energy side of the incubator, uh, we have one company from New Zealand, actually, uh, that's now housed uh, in the incubator. So um, it, it's it's an amazing experience. Every day is different, um, and every business is different. Just yeah. just like the people that are that are there. Yeah, exactly. And I, we spent two years in the Kaufman Southern Tier Incubator, uh, benefiting from you know things that you mentioned. Actually, being there in a physical space with other businesses, but also having the access to you know the the programming the networking events, uh, which are on hold, obviously, right now um, at, at the Kaufman, and it was a really special place. Um, but you do even more, so you go a step further, in, and you're known for uh, breaking down people's businesses and uh, maybe also their emotional <laughs> well-being at the same time, right? But that's so important because, and we talk about this in, in the hemp space and a lot with my other uh, guests, is you know understanding the customer 
and understanding your business, understanding your niche and not trying to do too much, right? Um, yeah. So how does that relate to what you're already telling business? And what's some of your experiences with businesses that might not be in the hemispace of canvas industry for being successful? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, so my background is not having an MBA. Hmm. Um, I didn't come from a family business. I'm, I actually started as a chef, a CIA graduated chef from Hyde Park, um, and later uh, became a dietitian. Um, my, my point here is, you know, I learned by making a lot of mistakes by doing just taking initiatives to try things. And, and, you know, it started from wanting to make a few extra dollars when I was in college, actually. I started a a company making uh, restaurant training manuals and made these laminated color things. Um, I used to tell people, you know, my mother could walk into your restaurant and open up this training manual and be able to not only replicate the exact same taste that you uh, do every night, but it would look exactly the same each and every time. Uh, And and that just led to, to more and more learning and understanding um, it, it's, it's not easy. I mean, you know, you've, you've done this multiple times now. Uh, there's a lot of places where we can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people out there that might be saboteurs. There's a lot of people out there that could end up really being, um, your best key ass, your key partner or asset. Uh, so really what I do or my ability to get granular with companies really comes from this idea that I, I don't, I didn't start, let's say with having, this educational background about business models and and other such. So for me, it really required me to break a business down to its smallest aspects and then question, is that right? Does it make sense? Um, Is there other changes that we should be considering? And that's kind of actually how I built the foundation of my mentorship in business because it's really understanding each of those tiny little pieces and trying to improve upon them. Um, nowadays, uh, I've really gotten into the business model canvas and business modeling, uh, patterns. And so, you know, we're able to take that to a whole new level. But, um, I, I think at its core, anyone that's trying to start a business or expand a business or maintain a business, you need to understand every inch of it, every aspect, every, you know, groan or, or whatever from your customers that you're trying to fix. And until you have that sort of deep understanding, you're really just you know, flapping your arms in a pool. It's almost as if, if you don't know the business, if you don't, or you're not hands-on in every part of it, you can't really succeed. And I wonder if we're seeing real life examples play out of that with a lot of these large MSOs where you have people from private equity come and they're managing and they're, you know, uh, trying to run a canvas business by plugging in the right pieces almost Mm -hmm. and saying, well, it should happen you know, the right way, right? But yeah. they don't actually have any understanding of the operational, um, you know, skills and experience that it takes to run a cannabis business. Um, and I think we see that all the time. But you mentioned something mistakes, and you said, oh, mistakes. But how important are mistakes, though? Yeah, yeah, great. Um, I, I always, you know, thought of, uh, you know, like your, your gym high school uh, sort of experience or maybe elementary school you know, you never really learn to play kickball better when you're on the winning team, Yeah. right? You know, it's usually the second place team that's really striving to be number one and, and made mistakes or maybe didn't have the best, you know, team aspect or, or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, it, it's, 
it, it's all a buildup, and, and and we have to constantly just work on improving ourselves or in every aspect of what we do in order to compete. So how important when you look at the hemp space, right, compared to clean energy, um, compared to all these other businesses uh, that you see, whether it's service based, product based, right, new technologies are going to save the world. Are you does hemp excite you the way that it excites the casual observer? Oh, very interesting. Um, I, I, so, you know, I, I feel like right now the hemp market has the, uh, has the issue, uh, to bring back to the culinary world that a lot of restaurants have that I really have an issue with. And that's, Mm. you know, that restaurant that has this 14 page menu and how can you actually master any of those dishes? How can you actually expect, you know, your stock to, uh, be fresh or to actually be making money for the restaurant when, when you're trying to offer so much. And, and I feel like that's happening in our hemp world, which isn't necessarily bad if, you know, I, I think if companies were out there testing uh, different products, saying, okay, let's do a small batch of this, let's put it in this targeted market, let's run a study to see if it works, and if that's what's pushing a lot of products out there in the market, then I think that's very wise because the companies shouldn't be losing a lot of money or time in that process. However, because I think so many of us were missing business models when we started businesses, or maybe they're not even familiar with business models, they're not taking the approach of testing, and they're actually just saying, let's just do it, let's just do it, let's just do it, and find the customers for it. And, and we've we've already learned that that is not the proper way of conducting business. So it's almost like everyone in the hemp industry is uh, standing up Greek diners <laughs> and trying to offer everything without actually understanding what they can cook best and what the customer wants, right? And this comes yeah. back to, and we talked a lot, I guess, is it doesn't matter what you think is right if no one wants it. Is right. there a need for it, right? And so, you know, we dove into this with Mark Privetera on the hemp fiber industry. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting because he said, but we need about $250 million of investment in order to advance it where we see hemp as a carbon substitute and as a substitute uh, for, you know, as, as bioplastics. And I asked him, I said, is there a need for it? Is there a problem with importing carbon? And there isn't. And right. what the kind of what, what my opinion, what we sell it on is there's not a need for it until legislation in the government creates that need, Right. Um, in, in, in the hemp space. And I, do you see that, you know, running the Clean Energy Incubator, do you see that too where the government and, and regulations have such an important part to play? Because when you look at, you know, New York, a lot of people look at New York and say, okay, for the political scene, you know, the government's involved in everything, et cetera, et cetera. But then New York City, you have this dichotomy where New York City is also the model of capitalism for the entire world, right? Yeah. An entire human civilization, you wanted some capitalism up, you'll go to New York City, right? So... How does that exist? How does how do those two coexist? Because you need incentivization for the market to increase, and and I think we see that in a lot of clean energy. Um, but how might that work in the cannabis space? Well, very interesting. So, um, just a, a quick point on the clean energy. Uh, it's highly affected by government. Hmm. Uh, you know, when when our federal government shut down a lot of. Uh, international trade, uh, our solar panel companies in the U.S. suffered greatly because now uh, they're not able to have their panels manufactured overseas, Mm. um, which was what they needed to drive costs down in order to introduce it to our market. Um, In New York State, we're extremely lucky. 
we have uh, an administration and a governor and uh, these different departments that, you know, we've set rules. We, we you know, 2040, we, we want to be in this huge place as far as clean energy. And so we've created NYSERDA that is this amazing entity that's actually promoting uh, technological progression towards ways that these folks have been able to determine are the proper ways to, to gear uh, clean energy. Oh. So uh, basically, you know, we don't want to waste money because there's a thousand ways we can work on improving clean energy. But which ones are practical? Which ones will actually help the, uh, the citizens of New York State the most? Because, um, you know, we're all paying for clean energy development in our utility bills, if you look at the little yeah. um, fee in there. Um, so how it relates to hemp, I, it's, it's got to be almost I- identical in a way. Um, so again, some of our, uh, our assemblywomen and some of the other leaders in pushing hemp through New York it wasn't pushing it in a way that's like, oh, you know, we, we can make money a thousand different ways with this plant. Um, a lot of them may not be socially scrupulous or, or whatever, um, but we could do it, and, and that would put more money in. And that wasn't the route that we took. Um, from the start, it was all about sustainability or, you know, starting with a farmer has to grow this plant. So why, why can't we make it sustainable for them? Because that's point A that all this stuff starts unless you're bringing it in from out of state, which New York doesn't need to do or want to do. Yeah. So uh, how could it help? I mean, I think there's a lot of ways. I, I, I think right now the guidance is probably the most important. All, all the things that your company is doing with uh, our assemblywoman and, and uh, the governor's office – just to say, you know, how, how can we be a player on the national market or international market and not allow other economies to affect our hemp economy here? So how do we do that? Does it involve closing borders in some way? Does it involve, you know, funneling money into certain um, things like, uh, you know, um, processing or manufacturing? You know, where do we push our grants? Where do we push the political attention so that it's not only able to self-support itself in our state, but we have to compete against everyone else? They're, they're, you know, yeah. it, it's an open market. Um, so I believe that we're definitely on the right path because we're spending the time to talk to all the other states, to talk to the uh, industry leaders, um, and, and make a, an educated uh uh, ruling on all these things. And so you say guidance and you're a state employee and you're paid to give this guidance to businesses, right? And so, you know, you've seen firsthand the barriers to entry for mm-hmm. cannabis and hemp businesses, right? Yeah. And, you know, so what has your experiences, you know, really told you with how, whether it's the government or the community needs to help reduce these barriers? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's actually become one of my favorite topics in uh, the whole entrepreneurship or business world. Um, I, I think I think right at this point we know who the customers are when we talk about who are the customers to a business or an industry. Um, what what we need most is uh, defensible uh, or proven business models. Okay. So we can't keep just pumping businesses out saying. Um, let's just grow this plant and then we'll, we'll stuff it in a bottle and then we'll sell it to like everyone because everyone wants this and it benefits yeah. everyone. That, that's, that's not good enough. Yeah. Companies compete on business models. They don't compete by products and services. Hmm. So by finding that niche customer, 
or by making small changes in your product, whether it's in quality or um, composition or, you know, whatever. It, it could be through a movement or, or maybe your company's known for donating money or maybe your company's known by being, um, you know, em the employees are within some sort of group that you believe in. We need a business model that will compete against everyone else. And that's how we end up being successful. As a business. So you need to find a niche in the marketplace. A niche or, or just a business model. So what I mean by that yeah. is you have to prove three things to really have a business model. Okay. One of them is desirability. So that's going to be your value propositions to your customers. Okay. Right? The other one is feasibility. Do you have the resources to actually put out that product that people want? Hmm. Can you actually manufacture those value propositions that you're offering to your customers. And then the last one is viability. So that one is cost to revenue. You know, are you actually making money, you make money? doing what you're doing? Yeah. Because a lot of people just get into this, but they didn't actually map out the whole money chain, yeah. the, the cost and everything associated just to get that, you know, $40 for a, a bottle of uh, tincture. Yeah. And, and so sometimes you have to find other revenue models. And get creative with them. Um, so maybe, you know, you give tincture away for free, but, you know, you're making money somewhere else yeah. in this. Some sort of subscription model, um, you know, whatever. But we, we need to actually have a business model pattern. that, And it's okay to take ones from another company that's yeah. very successful and, and do that because that's, that's a good place to start. Yep. But then you have to innovate on top of it. Yep. And that's how you compete and stay alive as a yeah. business. So it's almost like reading a Forbes article isn't enough to then decide that you're going to jump in and quit your day job and jump into the hemp industry, right? So it's interesting because, you know, yet, you know, we talk about uh, academic backgrounds, lack thereof. I share a similar lack of, of academic background in the traditional business sense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, never took a business class in my life. and But I think it's very important that you get hands-on experience, right? And so I think that's what what's unique about you, right, is, you're not a professor, you're not Dr. Crone yet, right? <laughs> and you have hands-on experience. So why don't you walk us through your entrepreneurial journey and how it even came and crossed over into hemp? Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks. Um, I, I almost sometimes feel like an, a, a, an artist, a painter or something where at, at this point, you know, I, I keep starting companies because it's just something I have to do, like, yeah. you know, painting something. But, um, you know, outside of starting the service manuals to make money, I, I really uh, started as an inventor. Okay. I'm really a creative person, um, and, and it probably stems from growing up and always wanting to, to be like my father. Hmm. Uh, my father was a project manager for Lockheed, got to play with, you know, the world's coolest technology. Okay. Um, but, you know, there's no way I'm getting into quantum math to end up where he was. So. I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure most don't. Um, so I, I, uh, it was actually my mother's birthday party, and I wanted to make a hollandaise sauce to uh, put on grilled asparagus, and I ruined the sauce. I, I, it overheated, um, and I know uh, there's one way to get a hollandaise to, to re-emulsify after being reheated, but I still couldn't do it and ended up scrambling the eggs, and I was just devastated. And it was... It was the first time that I started to actually think like how an inventor or an entrepreneur has to think. Hmm. And that one thing is everything is wrong. Everything in the world is wrong. 
And that's not a negative thing. No. It means that there's room to improve. Opportunity. Opportunity, exactly. Um, so what I saw with, and I won't get into the whole thing, but um, the problem with gas burners is that they don't move. So if you just have a pan sitting on a gas burner, you're relying on the elements inside the pan to dissipate that energy. Otherwise, it creates hot spots. And that's what ended up burning my hollandaise sauce. Hmm. So I invented a, a gas burner that rotates. Um, I, uh, I was actually at a, at a point where I was waiting for someone to stop by with a, a check to invest in the company. And um, my partner at the time, who was a professor was talking to a rocket scientist about what we were originally proposing. Uh, he calls up. He says, you know, we went over the math. It, it can't happen. Um, and I'm going to bow out, which was totally respectable. It's fine. We're still close. Um, and it was a point I was like, oh, I, I'm done. I'm, I mean, I'm not this physics guy, and I don't know how to pull this off. But I, I just went into deep study and, and, and found a way to actually recycle energy in a heating process. Um, so long story short, with, with that, um, I got my first introduction to Binghamton University okay. uh, with the um, entrepreneurship office, and uh, I got to take a pre-seed It was um, about 10 years course. ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's amazing when someone else says 10 years ago. It really was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I met the most amazing people and started my education on entrepreneurship. Hmm. Um, with that project, uh, I was a finalist to be on uh, Shark Tank. Um, oh, as wow. well as make me a millionaire inventor. Um, it's totally stressful waiting, you know, that one Friday night. If we call you, you're in. If we don't call you, you're not in. And then you wake up the next morning like, what time zone were they in? Because I didn't get a call, but um, that's okay. Uh, but what I started learning was that um, inventors die poor because I could spend tons of money uh, actually producing all these things that I invent. And I had to learn how to be an entrepreneur. So I started learning in this whole process of GHT and talking with manufacturers. I, I won uh, grants that gave me money to do all sorts of things. I think in total, uh, I received about 168000 in, in different grants, um, either cash or patent help or, or uh, um, different employees and such. But um, you begin to learn this idea, going back to everything is wrong. And if I can come up with a solution, if I have the right team, so feasibility, desirability, to solve something, and I can put together the viability, the money that it takes to actually produce this, I could actually just keep making companies. Yeah. Because a company is kind of like an invention. Uh, and so as I've done this throughout the years, and believe me, I can't do it without um, you know my key partner, uh, Wayne Kerber, who is been my partner in many companies and, and a mentor of mine, um, I started to learn what to do, what not to do, to talk to people before you start spending money. Is that something people actually want? Yeah. And, and, and you just get better and better at it that now that I'm able to actually design companies on paper before we even touch things, um, it, it's just there. And so for it's just kind of painting at this point. And, and, you know, you, you present these things in front of people and say, is this something you want to get into? Is this something you want to invest in? Because I certainly can't run all these companies by myself. I need teams to do them. So it, I've learned to be able to actually write it on paper. And that's what the business model canvas is about and learning about these patterns. Hmm. Um, so, you know, right now as it sits, I'm starting a, a restaurant called the, the West Sider over on the West Side of Binghamton. 
Um, so I live look, on the west side of Binghamton, so it, thank you very much. Yeah, you bet. You <laughs> bet. Uh, gourmet hot dogs will, is going to be the underlying Beautiful. theme. It's very exciting. Um, and I'm just constantly trying out new business ideas. So if you think about it, if you were to say, well, I'm going to take $50 every two months, put it aside, and I will use that to start a business. Now, obviously, $50, you're not going to go file an LLC because mm-hmm. you don't need to. You're not going to make a website. Maybe you can. Um, I know some websites, $12 a year to have a website. Um, but spend $50 and make some prototypes and find out if anyone actually wants these yeah. things. Is there a desire for it? Can you afford to actually make it if people want? And, and so this is just, it's almost, you know, my wife would probably call it a disease at this point, but I, I just can't stop. I just, I love that. And I, you know, I probably have 15 different companies in boxes in my basement. Yeah. And, you know, someday maybe someone will want to, you know, take it on with me. And, and if not, that's okay. So does failure scare you? Um, I, one of the lessons, um, my predecessor, Dan Mori at the incubator, uh, he got me to, to read um, some really great books about entrepreneurship, and it really taught me that we're a community. Yeah. And we need to celebrate wins just like we celebrate when our losses happen. Hmm. So uh, am I afraid of losses? No, because I know in three weeks I'll have another business that I'm probably trying to start anyways. But um, there's not really losses, I think. I, I think if you design a business uh, properly, you use proper models, if you can't Get it to work. If you can't get your customers to buy it or you can't get your investors to move forward with it, maybe it's the wrong time. What if they did move forward? What if you spent a bunch of money and then you failed? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, what it does is make you go back and try to figure out, did you actually model it? So yeah. I started a, um, with Wayne, a, a medical device company uh, that sanitizes syringes. It's a gr- great device. It was all about um, the uh, opioid addiction uh, I'm sorry, opioid uh, epidemic uh, and, and trying to help people be clean uh, with the syringes. But um, unfortunately, we, we didn't know about modeling or customer discovery or, yeah. or any of these other things. So we went and made the device and all the stuff and never actually learned who our customers would be, which, you know, w- there isn't uh, in, in, in the feasibility. We'd have to go through the FDA. I mean, it was the, we, we lost money and, and time. Um, because we just didn't work it out. It doesn't mean that, you know, maybe someday in the future something changes and, and it pops up, but it taught me that you have to do customer discovery. You have to talk so to So what your is customers. customer discovery? So walk us through that because I don't think many, I don't think enough companies in the hemp industry and the cannabis space are doing customer discovery. Yeah. And I don't know if they know what customer discovery is or even how to go about it. Yeah, good question. Um, so as I've said 230, 13 times. It's not actually discovering customers. It's not a sales thing. At yeah, all. yeah. Okay. Um, so let's let's say, you know, you're starting a hemp company and it, and it makes product whatever. Yeah. You should try to figure out, maybe start with what sort of groups might be interested in whatever. And then you need to ask them, almost run a blind study. So not a, not a, a, a survey. Uh, you need to really talk to them in person. Um, so they can't know that you're trying to start a business. No, that's the important so that's part, that's right? exactly yeah. the blind study part. Yeah. So essentially, you need to approach it as as a detective and just ask hmm. questions. You know, why are you taking um, hemp products? Yeah. You know, it, have you tried other products? You know, what, what's the pain? And and what you're trying to do is try to figure out: Do they really want 
what I'm offering. And if you mention anything about what, what you're trying to sell them, then it's influenced. And you're not yeah. actually going to get to bias. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's really the start of anything. Because what we need to do is find a, products that people are asking for as opposed to making something and then finding people that want to buy it. Now, but so you use this word pain, and I think it's important because the customer might not know that the customer might not know enough to ask for it, right? But they still might have pain, right? And not in a literal sense necessarily, right? We talk about CBD and cannabinoid extract products, which do help with pain, but this push towards something that they need. So explain what you mean by pain. Yeah, I think um, so. First of all, people don't don't buy products or services. Okay, right. I mean, yes, of course, we're buying something, but what we're actually getting is is whatever happens from from that purchase. No, a solution, almost. Yeah, right. We 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 want to fix something. So, products and services do one of two things, or or maybe both. Um, one is alleviate a pain. Hmm. So, a very simple um, uh, example would be: I have a headache. I go and take aspirin. Okay. That alleviated a pain. Um, you didn't buy aspirin because you love the aspirin brand and you want to just take aspirin because you saw a great commercial it, it, on it. It doesn't taste good. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. All right? I mean, this is just like taking um, some of the CBD products, you know. It's there to alleviate literally a pain, I guess, in that scenario. Um, but a gain might be uh, I'm, I'm able to run twice as long. Why, why does that happen? Well, maybe because my inflammation is down after an aspirin or CBD. I mean, we can keep it in the, in the hemp world. It's very legitimate. So you could look at it as I'm, I'm trying to alleviate aches and pains, yeah. which would be a pain category, or a gain category would be this helps me work out more, or this helps me be um, able to work a longer day because I just feel more grounded. You know, so people benefit in, in two different ways from things. And unless you understand both elements, um, you're probably not serving your customer to, to the best of your abilities. Yeah. And it's important to note that because you can come up with a pain and say, oh, people have, you know, arthritis and they need a product for it. But if they already have the product or the products are readily available, then the pain goes away. It, right. Right. So it's not just enough to find a need. It you have to find that almost I, I call it you know almost like this push factor this this factor that's going to push someone towards towards your product right so uh, switching gears here a little bit uh, we're, we're we're at the end of our uh, episode here but I, I do want to get your insights because we hear the word incubator talked a lot in especially in Albany when it comes to cannabis right and especially when we talk about disadvantaged communities and incubators to help break down some of the barriers in the cannabis space so being you know pretty much, you know, helping run the Kaufman Center Incubator, where do you see incubators fitting into the cannabis, into the rollout of the adult use cannabis industry in New York? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a great way to end. Um, I mean, I mean, I think the gist of this interview, or all the things that we discussed should hopefully boil down to folks. And, and, and hopefully they say, they say, I need a back, I need a foundation. Yeah. I need a foundation. Once I have a foundation, I need a direction. What what kind of house am I going to build on top of this foundation? Yeah. That's what incubators are for. Yeah. You know, without an incubator, basically you just had a bunch of, you know, lumber and nails dropped off in bags at your house and someone says build build me a castle. Yeah. Uh, okay, I mean I'll throw some things together, 
but I don't really know what I'm doing or I'm not following, you know, plans that will actually make it safe or, or successful. Yeah. That's what incubation is about. So hmm. in the hemp world, you know, first of all, there's all sorts of mentors and such that you can access, but what we need is, is focused mentorship. We need to teach people how to apply the business model canvas hmm. to, to actually look at how other companies, even if they're not in the hemp world, right? Because if you look at uh, business models, it doesn't necessarily um, relate to the, the product. It's really just how you're conducting business and, and providing to your customers. But how can we use that, again, to compete against the world? Yeah. So New York State, I mean, we are an agricultural state. We have unbelievable talent when it comes to hemp. We have sure. uh, government um, leaders that support everything going on. The one thing we're missing, right, the foundation and the direction. Yeah. And, and so I, I think just like with, you know, all startups, um, it, it's required. So a quick statistic for you, uh, the ratio of startups that survive, one in 10. Horrible, right? I mean, that's as bad as restaurants. The ratio of startups that survive that are involved in incubation, nine out of ten survive. Wow. Real statistic. You can look it up. Um, wow. It's because they're given that foundation and direction. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's exactly what's key. Otherwise, how are we going to clear the smoke, if you will, pardon yeah. the pun, um, but we need to fight at a much larger scale. We need to compete on an international scale, and whether that's uh, government or the private businesses or the farmers themselves, we need to apply models to these things. Yeah. And then we need to innovate those models so that we're better than everyone else. Yeah. No, that's that's great insight, Eric. And thanks. So I, I think enough of our listeners right now, their heads are spinning. So how can they contact you for help? Great question. You can visit thekaufman.com. So that's T-H-E-K-O-F-F-M-A-N. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there you can find information about the incubator, um, a lot of our uh, key partners in the area, such as uh, the Small Business Development Center out of Binghamton. Yeah. Um, but feel free to reach out to us. We have all sorts of programs. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing more than I love than... Uh, slapping around a little business model canvases with people. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I invite you to, uh, to come and enjoy that. Yeah. And, uh, not only did my, both my businesses start with a business model canvas, but the different evolutions of my business always come down to sitting down with you and, uh, mapping it out and oh, breaking it you. down and, um, employing a little tough love and saying, that's wrong. <laughs> That's right? actually our favorite thing to do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Empire State of Cannabis. This is with Eric Crone. He's the director of incubation programming at Binghamton University. Uh, subscribe and uh, come back and listen to more next week. And uh, also CSG can help you too. If you're developing a business, if you're stuck, if, if you need some help, uh, you can reach out to me personally. And uh, I might just refer you over to Eric Crone, though. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you.